Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all you guys. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and grateful that you joined us and hopefully um, this is a place that you can uh, call home. Um, we're in this series called Something Happened and um, I was thinking about this, about something happening in my own life. Uh, I've gotten like mildly obsessed with like cellular health. Anyone else? Anyone with me on this? No. It's like weird, um, not weird. Actually, I'm healthier, right? So, um, I, like, I never thought I would, like, think about milk thistle or ashwagandha or things like colostrum and different, like, supplements. And um, I've just gotten, like, super obsessed with it because it's, it's when you have, like, a, a, you can, someone can look healthy, but if something's going on in their cells, right, there's something else going on. And, uh, and, and so I've gotten, like, mildly just obsessed with it over the last couple of years. And, and what does it mean to, like, as we age, uh, remain healthy and understand, like, genetic things and body inflammation and all this other stuff. And, and like, something happened in the midst of this. So just discovering a new kind of avenue of, of health. And I was thinking about how um, this is what Jesus is constantly doing uh, when he's talking to people who say that they're followers of God. He's, telling, he's constantly being like, hey, are you really healthy? Uh, and he's always like digging into like a deeper level, something that's a little more um, uh, trying to get people to really like think about the, the interior things that's going on rather than what you're presenting outside. And and when that happens, even Jesus is talking to religious teachers at one point, and he's like, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He's like, you look a certain way, but there's something else that's going on in, inside of you that's so important. And in this series, like, that's what we've been trying to do. When, when, when we think about Christianity, there is this reality that you have to come to grips with the fact that something happened. Like, this whole Christian movement doesn't actually make sense logically, like when you process this billions of people that are Christians across this world and, and, and over you know, the last couple of thousand years that believed in this risen Jesus, it doesn't actually make sense unless it happened. Like if, if Jesus didn't like die and rise again, then this whole thing, as I said you know, the first week, th this is actually a really dumb habit that we do. And, um, and so, um, but if he did, if he did, then it changes everything. And, and everyone has to deal with it. I mean, people can choose. Like, you can choose not to believe it. That's a choice. Um, but you have to deal with the fact that something really happened uh, at, at some moment a couple thousand years ago that these uh, women and these men uh, decided to be a part of this movement that transcended the empire, that transcended the world that they lived in, that um, set something in motion that still continues today. That these people didn't do it for power, they didn't do it for fame, uh, they didn't do it for luxury, they didn't do it for comfort, they didn't do it for, uh, to have their names written in something, they didn't do it for any of those reasons because none of those reasons would have made sense because guess what, most of them died. Like, I mean, they were putting their whole lives on the line to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so there's something significant about this, and, and we just have to deal with it. Historically, you just have to deal with it. Again, everyone has a choice. You do. You can believe it or, or not, but if, but if it's real and we believe it, then it should really change a lot of things. And, and here's what ended up happening in this Christian movement. Um, it was like a paradoxical community uh, to what was happening. You know, there was so much classism, um, so much misogyny, so much um, racism and sexism going on within the Roman Empire. And uh, when the Christian community came in, it, it set up this new kind of community, this new way uh, to actually live. And, and one of the most significant things that it did uh, was it elevated women. 
uh, elevated women in, in this pretty epic level. And, um, and, and all the women should say amen to that. Amen. Amen. Actually, you know what? All the men. You should say amen to that, right? And, um, and so uh, they elevated women into this, um, into this place that um, they'd really never been. Women, women were business people, and, and uh, they had opportunities, and they were part of the community. But, but in terms of the society, women were on the lower end of the, the ladder, societal ladder, on the, on the kind of bottom rung. And even in the court of law, if a woman saw something, um, their word did not carry any weight, Okay, so they could have seen a murder happen in front of them, and they could be like, I saw him do it. And the court would be like, well, we don't recognize your voice. And so that was like the, where they were at. But, but within uh, the Christian faith, and actually in the Jewish faith as well, um, and you look in the Old and New Testament in, in the Bible, it, the w- women are always getting elevated um, contextually, like far above what culture was doing at that point in time. And, uh, and what's interesting is when you look at the beginning of the Christian movement, there was something that happened that, again, doesn't make sense. If you were going to start a movement, you wouldn't start with the women being at the core level of the story. You wouldn't do it. 2,000 years ago, you, you wouldn't do it. Um, now you might, right? Um, but but 2,000 years ago, it would have been the dumbest decision. If you're thinking, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get people together. We're going to start this movement. We're going to convince them of this Jesus. And we're going to bring all people together. And here's what we should do. Let's pick the lowest people on the societal ladder possible. Have them be a core person in this story. And guess what? Then everyone's going to believe it's true. It's incredibly stupid, right? It's, it's so dumb. Yet, yet, something significant happened. Something significant in this story uh, happened. And in the first century, this is the elevation of women happened in this Christian movement. Um, Dorothy Sayers wrote this uh, about 90 years ago uh, about Jesus that I thought was like really interesting. She said this, perhaps it is no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There's never been such another, a prophet uh, and teacher who never nagged at them, flattered or quaxed or patronized, who never made our jokes about them, never treated them as the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without quarrelsness and praised without condescension, um, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no ax to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend, who took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious. There is no act, no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows its pungency from the female perversity. Nobody could possibly guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about women's nature. And these words are put up there and it's like, Man, there was something so significant about what Jesus did and what the movement did. And there was something so significant about how this community and, and what it got set up to be. And as we've been taking a look at different characters who, um, or not characters, different people, um, who uh, encountered the risen Jesus and what happened uh, after that and what got them to that point, one of the most significant people in Scripture is Mary Magdalene. And um, some of you who are familiar with your Bible um, know who she is. And we're going to talk a little bit about like, what got Mary Magdalene to this point um, in the story. And, and I want to show you today why um, Mary Magdalene's story, um, and we're going to call her something different towards the end, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I want to see Mary's story should be equivalent to like Peter and James and John. Now, it's not that way. 
But I want to talk to you about why, because she so, had so much strength. And she was about resilience. And there was something so um, deeply engaging about her life and who she was. And I think we skip over it way too easily. Um, where she is a pivotal person in, in, who, uh, in the Christian movement. She's a pivotal person in the story of Jesus. And it's someone, as we're singing today, just so much about hope and so much about strength. And um, I was thinking uh, this week as I was praying uh, you know, and realizing um, the stories in this room um, uh, of, of people needing hope and needing strength and, and maybe you're in a season of just trying to discover something new or maybe something's been uncovered in your life or, um, you know, statistically speaking in this room right now, um, uh, over 30% of the people who are sitting in this room have been sexually abused. It's just if we go by general statistics. And, um, and, if we, and if we think about the amount of big T trauma and small T trauma and the different things that people have gone through, um, and you might be here, uh, we were praying this morning just about how sometimes people walk in this room and, and, um, and have heard this story that, like, man, I was like, man, this was the last day I was going to be on earth, but I came to church today and God did something in me, right? And, and the story about Mary Magdalene speaks into this pain, into this hurt, into um, and discovering something about your own story in the midst of this and to see uh, the truth of who Jesus is and be a person of hope and resilience and, and, of, and of strength. And so what's interesting uh, about the story of when we encounter the risen Jesus is Matthew 28 starts this way. It says, after the Sabbath... At the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which kind of stinks for that other Mary, right? Um, <laughs> went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for the angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And I, sometimes when we, again, if you've been in church, if you're new to this story, this should be riveting, Sometimes if you've been around this story too much, you're like, yeah, yeah, here's what happened. Like the stone was rolled away. And there's this angel that was there. But I mean, do you, like, we gotta like take in the story for what it says, right? That an earthquake happened. This angel that like was shining white as snow and comes and like rolls away the stone and is sitting on it, right? And the response of the people that were there was to play dead, isn't it fascinating that we engage this story like flippantly sometimes? You know, we get so used to it, but it's like, that's not what it's saying. It's like, it was such a powerful moment that they literally had to play dead. There was so much there. And so, um, it continues out, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. It says, he is not here, right? That's what we celebrate. He is risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. Again, this is like they become the first messengers of Jesus, right? These women do. Again, really dumb in the Roman context to make this the story. Incredibly dumb. But this is what they do. He says, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. How many of you guys have ever felt that way with Jesus, right? There's this part that starts stirring something inside of you, and it's like, you're, man, you're excited about the possibilities, but yet you still wonder, 
right? You might have a little bit of doubt, or you might even be like afraid of what this might mean, but, but there's something like, there was something like burning inside of it. That's why we've been talking about this so much in this series that um, we, you know, we said, uh, I said a few weeks ago, I was like, man, the facts of stories matter, and details matter, and like connecting dots, they all matter, but in every story, it's something that's burning inside of them. Even last week when Nicole was talking about how uh, Jesus mapped out the connection points, right? Of like, hey, you remember what uh, the, old, uh, the old Hebrew scriptures said? Like, that's about me. It's like this really cool thing to be able to see. But what did those guys do at the end? Like, wasn't something burning inside of us as he was talking? It, it's like, man, there's something that happens in this moment. But there isn't Jesus. There's something that's there. And so they ran and tell the disciples. And I love this. Suddenly, Jesus meets them. And he's like, ladies. All right, it says greetings. But he said, they came to him, clasped his feet, and did what? Worshipped him. Something in this moment that they were like, man, the only thing that I can do in seeing when I see this risen Jesus and experience the risen Jesus is that there's something inside of them that's like, I'm filled with so much. And my only posture and proper <laughs> response is to simply worship and to bow down and worship him. And so Mary becomes a critical point of this story. Um, what's interesting is we think a lot of things uh, about Mary Magdalene if he kind of grew up in church. And so I want to highlight a few that are important, um, just so we know. Here's what we do know. Um, she was freed from seven demons. We don't know what those demons were or what happened in her life to, to get there. But what the Bible says is that she was you know, freed from seven demons. She was a faithful student and follower of Jesus, you know, she is mentioned in the Bible um, more than every other disciple but Peter, James, and John. And so she's actually more prominent than most of the disciples. Um, and, so, and, and so, which shows us that she's always around. Like, she's always in it. She's um, very faithful. Um, and she's kind of part of Jesus's, when he's teaching his disciples, he's He's also teaching women in the midst of this, and they're part of like his little seminary um, that he has going on. And so she was faithful student follower. She's incredibly generous. It talks about how her she was a she was a um, person of means, um, and so uh, I always laugh when people. Um, some folks will say things uh, about people who are wealthy, like, they, like as if Jesus was anti-abundance. He, he wasn't anti-abundance, he wasn't anti-wealth. He what he was was he was anti-people using money to just use it for their own means. But what Jesus was really, I mean, Mary and Joanna in particular, what it says is they basically funded the entire ministry of Jesus. And so when, it, when you kind of think about it in this way, it's like, it's not Jesus an anti-wealth. And he's like, no, but, but man, because like there are wealthy people who can fund things that you can't or I can't, right? Um, but when people get together, now in this room, there's a lot of wealth in this room, just again, statistically speaking, like who we reach. And, uh, but, but it's like, is Jesus anti that? And he's not anti that. He's like, no, but there's something like powerful about her story that talks about generosity and why it's so important. And um, it's like she funded, she was part of funding Jesus' ministry. Um, she is not a prostitute. She's not a prostitute. Sometimes people think she was. Um, that actually came from a sermon that this guy Pope Gregory did in 591 uh, where he was talking about like where one of the, uh, maybe one of the demons came from in her life and associated it with um, this idea of prostitution. But we do not have anything like that in scripture about her. Um, she is uh, not the adulterous woman uh, where Jesus draws the line in the sand. So I just want to like clear that up. And she's not the Mary from Martha and Mary's story in Luke. You guys, so you might know that story where um, 
Martha's working, right? Mary comes and lays at the feet of Jesus, and um, Martha gets a bad rep in that story, but uh, she, but Jesus is like, you know, talking to both of them. There's this other story about Martha and Mary in in Lazarus um, where she might be that Mary, though. So um, she might be the, the, I know it can be confusing, but Luke's story, Mary and Martha, not her. Lazarus' story of Mary and Martha, it might be her, Mary Magdalene. Actually, Matt and I did a whole um, podcast episode um, on that, that Mary Magdalene might be uh, the uh, sister of Lazarus. And um, so we actually just released that today. If you're interested in stuff like that about the Bible, it is fascinating. There's some new scholarship around it that's really interesting. Um, but I want to go back to this one right here. Um, the, that Magdala means tower. Magdala means tower. Um, when we talk about tower, we're talking about strength. Um, there's also some scholarship that said that Mary um, might have been tall herself and um, part have like a black Egyptian um, heritage. And, um, and so, but, but most of the early writers of, uh, that we have about the Christian movement, um, people like Tertullian, Eusebius, um, uh, Jerome, Origen, uh, Clement, like these guys all referred to her as Mary the Magdala, uh, meaning Mary the Tower. All right, so it wasn't about where she was from. It wasn't about Magdalene. It was Mary the Magdala um, because she was this tower. So um, around uh, the sixth century is when the, the language around her started to shift into Mary Magdalene. Um, but before that, it was about Mary the Magdala, like Mary the tower. And so you think about her story, one where um, you know, there was some spiritual stuff going on in her life with demonic activity, and which reveals that there was a lot of pain and suffering in, in her life. But Jesus gripped her heart in such a powerful way and led her into this place where she became known for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years as Mary the Magdala, the tower. In the same way, the only other person that has that name, two other people, he had John the Beloved, Right, and he had Simon Peter or, or the Rock. We talked about that um, a few weeks ago. But the only person was was Mary, the Magdala, the Tower. And so we begin to see this about her strength, about her resilience, about um, who she was. And so I want to talk about how some things about her that were really important. She was relentless. She was relentless. Um, Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century um, calls Mary uh, the Apostle of the Apostles, the Messenger of the Messengers. And, uh, and, and he does, and he's like, man, there was something he, he wrote about it, some other people have written about it, like there was a relentless, almost stubborn faith to Mary. Now, how many guys have been called stubborn? Yeah, 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 right? It's typically like negative, all right? And um, here's a great way for it to be positive. So there is a stubborn faith to Mary. Her faith was not based on her circumstances. She was relentless. I mean, think about the fact that um, how much societal pressure would have been against her to be with Jesus, to be a leader in that community, to be someone known as the tower, to be someone of strength, to be someone who um, sacrificed in such a way to, to, to fund the ministry. There, there was so much there that was going against Mary, but she was so stubborn in her faith for Jesus. There was a relentless nature and resilient nature to, to who she was 
that allowed her to work through circumstances, to work through pain. She was not shielded from suffering and pain. That's part of her story. But this relentless, stubborn faith led her into places that not a lot of people ever were. The fact that she was recorded in so many different stories with Jesus, which allows us to know that she was around way more than we even see. I mean, really, no one has more stories than than Mary. She's the only person that was at the trial, the crucifixion, the beating, um, the, the burial, and then at the tomb. Nobody else can say that. There, so even in the midst of like the suffering and the pain and like the, the, the craziness going around, the chaos going around her, there was this relentless, stubborn nature about her. No one could tell more stories than Mary. When, when someone starts saying, do you remember the healings? Mary would be like, I know, I was there. Do you remember when Jesus got beat? I know, I was there. Do you know when Jesus came back? She's like, I know, I was there. Do you remember when, when this, like, James and John got a little crazy and they wanted power? And they were, she's like, I know, I was there. She was always there. There was this relentless, stubborn nature um, to who she was. Um, she was also aligned. She was also aligned. She was relentless and stubborn. She was aligned. Her whole, um, she prioritized the presence of God. There is no greater thing than we can do than prioritizing the presence of God in our lives. To have an expectant heart. To want to see and feel and experience the truth of who Jesus has been. Now I'm going to prioritize his presence in my life. When we talk about disciplines that we do, whether it's prayer and, and study and worship and community, it's like, what are we doing? We're prioritizing his presence. Silence. We're prioritizing uh, his presence in our lives. When we prioritize his presence, we have more pure moments with Jesus. Um, when he says, in, when Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, uh, I think it's verse 8, he says that the blessed are the, the pure, right? Well, it says that he, for they will see God. There's this something about having, uh, prioritizing his presence that leads us to a purity of how we see the world around us, and how we um, experience people. When we get to see God in things, um, I told you guys uh, a while back, we went, uh, when everything was happening for that revival down in Asbury uh, University, uh, we went down there. Um, it was day 10 that we went down there. Um, but for the first 10 days of it, um, there was something stirring in, in my heart and Lacey's heart around it. And uh, we kept essentially making excuses of why not to go. And I was like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a long drive. Um, and uh, it's Kentucky. Who wants to go there? Um, but like the, uh, but we, it's, a, it's a long drive. It's, um, but there's something like stirring in our hearts like around it. And, but we kept waiting I kept waiting, not waiting, as we're going to sing in a second about waiting on the Lord. We were just, we were waiting on ourselves. And it's like, oh, they has field hockey, and they got this, and they got, you know, like, there was always something. And so we finally go down there, and it's like a powerful, powerful moment. And, you know, we wait four hours to get into the chapel, and we walk in, and I, we both start bawling, like, within five minutes. Like, it's just like this sweet humility, sweet, humble place, unbelievable experience. And, and the first thing that I felt like God said to me was, why did you wait? And, and I was like, man. And I, I was realizing that it was like, it was still beautiful, but it made me wonder 
if I missed out on the purity of it a little bit because I waited. And what we see with, with, um, with Mary is like she was aligned and she didn't wait. In that moment, we felt God stirring something inside of me and I, and I wasn't aligned in the right way. I got there, but I still think I might have missed something. That's okay. Like stuff happens, right? And we learn, <laughs> we grow from it. But I think I might have missed something. It's like, I think when we prioritize his presence and we align ourselves with it, all of a sudden, it's like, man, we start seeing God the way he wants us to see him, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. And she kept showing up, right? She kept showing up and developing community and being around. It's, it's aligning ourselves even with our time and our own personal presence. You keep showing up for people when you're around it. Uh, and um, how many of you guys go to the gym on a regular basis? This is not like to ridicule you, um, if you don't. So if you go to the gym on a regular basis at the same time, you start seeing the same people all the time, right? And eventually what ends up happening is because you keep showing up, eventually that person you didn't ever really think you talked to, you give like a little head nod, you know, or you say hi, or, and then like nine months later, you're like, you're having like a conversation to the point where you're like, gosh, I just want to work out, you know, and, but you're, you're talking. <laughs> What happened in those moments was you kept showing up, right? And eventually, like, it turns over that you feel like, oh, I got to say something at this point, right? And, um, and that happens all the time. It's like you keep putting yourself in the right scenario. Um, over the course of nine years from the gym, of, of this church being open, just being at the gym, I would say probably roughly 40 people have come to visit this church just by me meeting at the gym wearing a Hill City t-shirt. And, um, and then, and it's happened, and like even I just had a meeting on Friday with a guy, it was like wonderful conversation, but it just, like over months, just keep showing up in the same spot, we just had a conversation at the gym, and then all of a sudden we're, we're meeting for coffee, having this great conversation about faith. And, and what is it? You're just putting yourself in the right scenarios, right? Aligning your time, aligning your own presence with where God would want you to be. Third thing with Mary is this, she was passionate. She was passionate. Um, when she doesn't see the body of Jesus, she immediately weeps. Well, why does she weep? You could say, well, it's because it's emotional, it's death. Mm-hmm. I think she weeps, and the word that for weeps is like this deep grieving. And the reason why that's there is because there was something in Jesus that she was so passionate about. If you've ever lost a loved one, uh, or someone that you know or been to a funeral, if you didn't know the person well or maybe you had a like, separated relationship of some kind, you can still have a grieving in your heart, right? Like you can, it's a sad moment no matter what. But when you see someone who is like really loved by people and you, like, you go to their funeral or something, like there's something like, there's a passion that there's something, a depth of relationship and a depth of connection and this is what we see in, in Mary. She, she's so passionate about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done in her life that it, that it actually enables her some experiences. And, and, and I would frame it as privileged information with Jesus because of her deep passion for him to be relentless and stubborn in her faith about him, to have her alignment with him. And this deep passion that's there um, actually allows her to experience things that really nobody else did or very few people did. And so it gave her like this privileged way of engaging him. And here's what else happens. Her passion, like she shows up at the tomb 
part of why she shows up at the tomb was, you know, through her love of Jesus, and there's some other cultural elements there. But you know what? Other people aren't showing up at the tomb that day. And so she shows up in a way because she didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but she still, because of the passion for Jesus, she still presents herself. And so um, sometimes, you know, if you're dealing with like abuse or trauma or um, going through a rough season of life of suffering and pain or whatever, sometimes the hardest thing is like what is the unknown, right? What's going to happen in the future and how do I deal and everything else? But, but man, what we see in Mary's story that led to so much strength, Mary the Magdalene, Mary the Tower, so much resilience, but she just kept, she could deal with the unknown because of how much passion she had about the reality of who Jesus was. And it set her up in such an interesting way. And what ends up happening in her story, and I want, to, I want to read really quickly just the John part of the story in the Gospel of John because uh, it's a really cool way to see what transpires when she um, encounters Jesus. But I want to share a quick little fun little Bible thing first. Is that okay? So um, you guys know the Bible is like the coolest writing ever. Like, it's so cool. And the way the writers do is little things that, like, try to clue us into bigger stories, it's always wild. And, uh, and so in this story, I want you to see this first. In the creation story, where, uh, you know, God creates, there's this uh, incredible relationship between uh, man, woman, and God. And uh, do you remember, where, where were they put? Where were Adam, what place were Adam and Eve put into? The Garden of Eden, right? Some of you guys are really hesitant to answer that, right? Like, the Garden of Eden? Garden of Eden? Yeah, the Garden of Eden, right? Like, so they were put into the Garden of Eden, okay? So the Garden of Eden becomes this place, gardens to every society back then, whether it's Assyrian belief or Babylonian belief or Egyptian belief, and of course, um, a Hebrew belief. Um, gardens were very significant. Um, they were like um, this, these, this beautiful place where at a garden is where you deeply connected with the realities of God. So every belief system, like a garden was a focus, focus point. And so, so we have this where it's like in this creation story, the, the Garden of Eden. Well, sin comes into the world and everything gets separated. Eventually, what, what God's like, I'm going to take you guys like out of the garden because of what, this is what sin does and kind of create this knowledge of this human story. And so it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he says, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim. Who knows what cherubim? What are they? Angels, right? So they're, they're angels. And so it says that they placed two cherubim here. And it says that, and a flaming sword, right, flashing back and forth to guard the way of the what? The tree of life is what deeply connected people to um, the realities of who they were and who God is, right? This is the tree of life. They begin to experience the reality and the truth of God. But when sin comes in, it fractures that. And, and in this story, it's like, what God does is like, man, you, you got, I'm going to make this all right, but you, you can't just come and go as you please. That a Savior is going to break this down, okay? And, and, and then you're going to have access to this tree of life again. So you got that, all right? Some of you guys are like, I don't care about this stuff. You should. So John 19, 41. At the place where Jesus was crucified, so this, what was Jesus on? Cross. cross. So a cross equals a tree. Right? There was a what? Oh, here we go. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. All right? So in this moment, we are, all right, the cross, the tree, became a tree of death. And there's this garden that's here. And so John's writing this, right? And then he goes into John chapter 20. It's like, now here's Mary. 
Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw what? Mm. In white, seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one on the other foot. He says, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. So again, Mary's life. This is why it's so crazy. Mary's life, like she sees Jesus before he's fully glorified. Who else gets to see that? Nobody. So she gets to see him in a different state. He's like, sir, if, I've, if, uh, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my, um, to my Father and, and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, right? I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. Here's what I want you to see just about this last part. And this is why it matters that something happened. The tree of death becomes the tree of life. And what John's trying to get us to see here about the significance of Jesus and his death and resurrection is that there used to be this barrier and that barrier is now gone. And that's why he's having this, he's like, if you can experience the reality and truth of Jesus, you get to take a step back into the garden to be able to experience now the tree of life. That this is the access that you begin to have and this changes everything. It changes everything. So for Mary, what she gets to experience in this moment, she gets to experience a new creation, a new kingdom, a new hope, a new story, and a, uh, and a new strength. How many guys would love that? But this is what we begin to see in the access that we have to Jesus. It's a new story. Your story may not be what you had always hoped, but through Jesus, you can have a new one. The pain that you've experienced and it's felt like, man, you've been dehumanized in some kind of way that through the reality and the truth of who Jesus is has become this new creation. You may have felt like, man, I've been so, through so much suffering and so much pain, but on, the, on this end, it's like, man, there's this new hope. I felt so weak and in so much despair, but what Jesus has for you, and this is what I believe he wants you to hear, is there's a new strength for you. When we saying, you know, fear is not my future and saying things like, I mean, goodbye shame, right? Goodbye guilt. And these things that we're saying hello to, that, that's through the reality of Jesus. We're gonna sing a song um, called Wait On You. This idea of, of waiting is not about just sitting idly by. It's, 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 about, it's about engaging. It's about um, trusting in who God is that you can get your strength back your resilience back it's about having this stubborn um, passionate 
relentless faith that believes in the truth of who God is that, as we'll sing, that you can mount up on wings like an eagle and soar. That you can run and not get weary and walk and not faint. That becomes your story. That in the same way becomes Mary the Magdala to be your name thus something. It's not your name at your weak. It's not your name that you're a loss. That's not your name plus your failure. That God wants to rewrite your story so you can see hope, that you can see strength. What he wants you to do is trust in him, to wait on him, to believe in that reality and he'll renew your strength. I'm asking you to bow your heads as the band gets ready and we're going to sing together. So God, I just want this to just sit with us here for a minute as we... Um, are just processing. Maybe it's something that you need strength and you know you need it. Maybe it's a realization that you've not been aligning your life. Maybe your faith used to be relentless but hasn't been for a while. Maybe there's a passion that's been missing. Maybe you've taken on a name that God never intended you to take on. He didn't intend you to take on guilt or shame or fear or anger, resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness. He wants us to soar. He wants us to run. He wants us have a passion for life, a purity of life, a, a hope. He wants us to experience strength. Will you stand and sing with us?